But it's great to have you with us today, and we're in part three of our Hope series, and I hope you've been loving it so far. First week we did How to Avoid Hopelessness, and then last week we did a, a what I felt was a real God message for us at our time of uh, Don't Tear Your Clothes, and I hope that you have been having a phenomenal week through that. This week, I want to talk to you out of Zechariah 9 verse 12. It says this, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I'll restore double to you. He, he says here, prisoners of hope. I, I think there's something that we have to understand if we're going to get hope alive on the inside of us again is that hope doesn't have victims but hope does have prisoners. And the way that you can become a prisoner of hope is that if you find your doorway into hope, but you can't find your way out of hope into the place where dreams come to life. In fact, there's a lot of people that are stuck in hope. They're just stuck in this place of hope. They're, they found their way into hope, but they just can't find their way out of hope. They haven't found the way out into the place of dreams. In Proverbs 13, 12, which we've gone through before as a verse, says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, there is life and joy. And so people have hopes, but they can sometimes find their doorway into hope, but then they get stuck in this place where they're just hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and nothing tangible seems to be happening Dreams aren't really coming alive and it ends up being this continuous circle and cycle of hoping and hoping and hoping and eventually that just leads to deferred hope and they get sick. Remember that story in Hosea that we talked about in, in chapter 2 verse 15 where it talks about the, the valley of Anchor which actually means um, trouble, the valley of trouble as a doorway of hope. And so we understand that we go from trouble to hope, that God takes us from trouble to a doorway of hope, but we need to find the door out of hope if we're going to see our dreams come to life. We, we can't just find our way in and get stuck there, but we've got to find our way out into the next phase of what God has. Hebrews puts it this way, 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when we're talking about hope in God, we're, we're talking about this. We're talking about things that are not seen, things that we hope for that become a reality, that become a substance. We're literally seeing the unseen become a reality. And the thing is, is if we're not finding our way out of hope, we're not going to see the unseen become a reality. We're not going to see those things change. And so we'll get stuck in hope and we'll end up becoming a prison of the hopes that we have instead of stepping into the palace of where the dreams come true. And I just don't believe that God wants us to be prisoners of hope, that we just get stuck in this hope cycle, which ends up leading into deferred hope. And you may have found your way in, but... I think we've got to find our way out because I don't believe it's God's will for you to be stuck in a cycle of hope and never seeing those things come to pass. It's not God's will for you to be a prisoner 
of hope and frustration. It's a doorway of hope. It's not a place of hope. It's a doorway of hope that leads you into the place where dreams come to life. It's a doorway in, but the doorway out is what we need to find that takes us into a place where dreams come true. So how do we go from a place where maybe we're a prison of hope or we're prisoners of hope, how do we we find our way out of the doorway that we've come into? Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, we looked at this in the first week, but I just want to break it down for you. And we're going to look at six different things from this piece of scripture that I believe are the steps that we need to take that will take us from being stuck in a cycle or a prison of hope and allow us to step into the palace where dreams come to life. It says this, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out and our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, hope does not disappoint. Hope doesn't make us a prisoner. Hope doesn't get us stuck in a cycle. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope doesn't get us stuck in a cycle of hope, but never seeing those dreams come to pass. The first thing that I think the scripture teaches us is that the first step that we've got to come to is a step of praise. It says here to glory in tribulation. Now when he says glory in tribulation, he's not talking about reveling in trouble. He's not talking about making a bubble bath out of trials. You know, he's not talking about you going, woohoo, I'm in a tough time, yeah! You know, it's, it's not about the trial, it's praise in it. It's, it's not praise about the trial. It's not praise about the tribulation. It's praise in the middle of it. it. It's what you declare out of your mouth as you enter into his courts of praise. Praise is the entry point. Praise is not the speed of a song. Praise is, a praise song is not a praise song because of how fast it is. A praise song is a praise song because of what it declares, what it says. Praise is a song that declares the glory of God. It declares our faith in God. It declares our trust in God. It declares our thanksgiving and celebration of who He is and what He has done. Praise is, is what we do in the middle of of our tribulation. He's not talking about praising that tribulation or that trial that we're going through, but the praise that we give in the middle of it, where we celebrate Him and we honor Him in His greatness. It's not a celebration of the circumstance, but it's a celebration of my faith in God in the midst of the circumstance. Psalm 142 verse 6 puts it this way. This is, this is uh, King David crying out, and he says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. He's in a bad place right now, yeah? Bring my soul out of prison. 
that I may what? That I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Get, get me out of this place of a prison so that I can praise your name. Surround me with the righteous. Why does he want the righteous to surround him? Because he understands that he needs to be in an atmosphere of praise. He, he wants the righteous to surround him because when they surround him, he gets himself into an atmosphere of praise. That's why it's so important that we tune in every week to this. And when we're able to gather again in person, that we gather. Why? Because we need to get ourselves into an atmosphere. We need to get ourselves into a place where we're surrounded by praise. And I want to tell you this, if your hopes have been dented, if your hopes have been challenged, if your hopes seem like a prison where you've found your door in, but you can't find the door out into the dreams that come true, you've got to get yourself into an atmosphere of praise. That's why when the drums begin to strike up and the noise begins, don't lose sight of what we're trying to do here. We, we, we are here to make declarations of praise, declarations of who He is and His great faithfulness. It's a declaration of my faith and my trust in Him. If you don't like the music style, remember, it's not the music, it's the confession that has power. It's not how loud the drums are or not, it's the confession that comes out of our mouths. It's the declaration that has the power. And we don't want songs that are nostalgic in nature. We want songs of praise that are songs of declarations. There's nothing wrong with nostalgia. There's nothing wrong with remembering stuff. But I want to tell you, nostalgic songs aren't necessarily the song that you need right now. You need a praise that comes out of your world that's just declaring the greatness of God. And I understand, friend, um, I get frustrated too with some of the songs that we sing and some of the lyrics of the songs. I understand that we need to sing songs about Jesus and they are powerful and they are important, but we also need to sing songs that are reminding us of who we are positioned in Christ, that we are a conqueror, that we are victorious, that we are reigning with Christ the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's about making that confession. The first step is we've got to get ourselves into the praise place, a place where we are declaring the greatness of God. That's what it says, great tribulation. The next step after tribulation is perseverance. And in Hebrews 6, 11 to 12, it says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. In other words, don't quit. You hold on to that right to the end. And then it says this, so that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and practice inherit the promises. Faith is an incredibly important element to hope, but so is perseverance or patience. Hebrews 10, 36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that you have done the will of God, 
you may receive the promise. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. Can I say this, that some people are stuck or locked in a prison of hope because they're still not doing God's will and they're not being obedient to what God's called them to do. It says here that you have need of endurance so that after, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. So let me ask you a question. What step of obedience do you need to do for God to get you out of the prison of hope that you're in? If you're not seeing answers, what aspect of the will of God do you need to address? If you're not seeing answers in a particular area of your life, what aspect of the will of God for your life do you need to address? Maybe it's in your finances or in a relationship. What, what aren't you doing around that that fits in with God's will that you're not doing, that you need to address? You see, we have to endure. We need endurance. The spirit of endurance is the spirit of a believer. It's a spirit of faithfulness and a spirit that hope until the end. Friend, perseverance is not hanging on by the skin of your teeth until something happens. Perseverance is active. It says here that you would have endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. See, too many of us sit back at times and we go, I'm just persevering here. I'm waiting for the promise. I'm just waiting. For, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting here. I'm in my prayer closet. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to come and do something. I'm just praying. I'm just believing. I'm just believing here, sister, that God would come and do something. Here's the thing. Perseverance is not inactive. Perseverance is active. During periods of perseverance, I have to address aspects of God's will for my life that maybe I'm not doing. So it's active. It's not sitting back and being passive, waiting for God to move. Perseverance is looking at ourselves and going, okay, what aspect of the will of God for my life am I not currently doing now, now that I need to address? What is it that I'm not doing that I need to address? It's active. It's looking. It's active because I'm having to change things about me because it is after I have done the will of God that I receive the promise. You see, a time of perseverance is not a time to sit back and wait for God's divine intervention, but it is a matter of addressing the will of God for our lives. What do you need to address and change in your life so that in the period of perseverance, it doesn't become a cycle or a prison of hope and a place of deferred hope because you're actually doing something and things are changing and there's an activity that is taking place and stuff is starting to move and shift. 
The next step after perseverance, it says in that scripture, is character. After perseverance is character. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says this, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you are bound in grace also. This, this whole verse, it's talking about abounding in character. That God wants to build character, and character is a prerequisite to, to hope. We have to have a look at character, and we need to look at our character and see what areas of our character need to be addressed. Because character is all about changing and working on who I am. And the problem that we all have from time to time is we want people to accept us for who we are when really we need to be lining up with who God says we are. We can spend so much of our time, I just want people to accept me for me. Friend, don't accept you for you accept who God wants you to be. That's the you that you need to be, the one that God wants you to be, the one that God has a will for you. You need to be lining up with who you are and who Christ wants you to be. And so it's not about me, it's, it's all about me being who God wants me to be, not about who Trinity wants me to be, not about what my kids want me to be, not even about what the church wants me to be, but what does God want me to be? What character does God want me to have? What strengths do I need to change? What weaknesses do I need to address? Why? Because I don't want to become a prisoner of hope. I want to go through the doorway of hope into the place where dreams come true. So I need my character to be actively changing so that I can go from character to step four, which is hope. It says from great, from um, praise about tribulation, an ability to praise God in the middle of it, to perseverance, to character, and then to hope. And hope is not optimism. Hope is not optimism. Anyone can be optimistic. We're talking about a godly hope, and there's a big difference in that. Why? Because optimism ignores the facts. Optimism pretends that the facts aren't true. I'm just not going to believe that. It's optimism. Optimism ignores the facts, whereas hope challenges the facts. That's why it said, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. He wasn't, he wasn't ignoring the facts, he was challenging the facts. Hope challenges the facts. Hope challenges the facts. Optimism tends to lend itself to particular personalities, and you probably know people that are like glass half full people all the time, they're always optimistic, life is wonderful, all that sort of stuff. But godly hope has nothing to do with your personality and everything to do with God himself. To get out of a prison of hope, it has to be more than just optimism. You can get optimistic by going to a seminar 
success seminar or, or learning some new philosophy, but you can't get godly hope from philosophy or seminars. Godly hope is in God and in God alone. It's in the Word of God. It's in the promises of God. It's in who I am in God. It's in the things of God. Hope that we're talking about is found in Him, not in anything else but in Him. And then we step from hope into faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I read it before. Now faith is the substance, literal reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are going from hope to faith. And, and friend, there's a, there's a whole lot of elements to faith, but one of the most powerful elements of faith is actually our confession. There's so many different things that I could talk to you about faith, but I, I believe the most important thing is our confession. Hebrews 3.1 says this, it says that, that when Jesus speaks, he is the high priest of our confession. It says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Not of his confession, but of our confession. And that word confession in the Greek is the word homologia. Homo means the same as. Gia means words. The same as words. Confession is the same as words that he speaks. So confession literally means speaking the same words that God speaks. And here's the thing. It says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. So if our confession isn't lining up with his confession, what can Jesus, the high priest, do with that confession in your world? It needs to line up with what he says. What do you say about the situation? What do you say about my life? We need to get our words the same as. Confession means that our word is the same as. And so faith has to be tangible, and it has to be something that you can do. And one of the most powerful things that you can do is to speak faith words, confession, same words as he speaks. Why? Because miracles are released by your confession. God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, and there was light. Noah in Hebrews 11 talks about how he preached deliverance, and he received it. Moses decreed the plagues in Exodus 7. Elijah brought drought into being in 1 Kings 17. Elijah called fire down from heaven in 1 Kings 18. Joshua commanded the sun and the moon to stand still, and it did in Joshua 10, 12. And Jesus proclaimed his resurrection and the gospel. And Matthew, all of it came from a place of confession, speaking the same words as what he has. And most of the New Testament miracles were spoken into being. The man at Gate Beautiful, Peter and John walk up to him and said, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Most of the miracles that we see is because of a declaration. It's because of a confession. It's because of what comes 
out of the mouth. Don't underestimate your words. When you are feeling like a prisoner, just keep speaking words of life. Don't allow your speech to lower itself to your circumstance, but command your circumstance to lift itself to the level of your confession. Come on, because that will keep you locked in a place of hope if you drop your confession to your circumstance. It will prevent you from coming out into a place where dreams come true and you'll become a prisoner to the hope that you are hoping in. Keep speaking the word of God, speaking the same words that Jesus spoke. And then the last thing I want to talk to you about is sight. Because it says that it's the substance of things unseen. So what is it that you see? You see, faith can see what is unseen. Faith can see what is unseen. In other words, faith sees a reality that right now is not a reality. Faith has the ability to pull stuff from the heavenlies and insert it into our worlds. Faith can see what is unseen. So don't lose the picture of what you can see in your confession. Here's what I can see. I can see on this property here, I can see a daycare centre. I can see before and after school care and school holiday programmes. I can see a cafe filled with people connecting, being touched. I can see the best playground in all of Franklin. I can see uh, a tertiary education institute where we're training business people and teachers and media so that we can influence and impact the world with Jesus Christ. I see owning and operating businesses where we're able to employ people from the community and help them grow and help the economy of our district grow. I can see us being such a blessing that from all the profits that we made, we're pouring it back into the community. And so I can see that happening where we are putting a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year back into our community where we become so influential, we become so generous, we become so important that, that here, whether you be zero or whether you be a hundred, there's a place here for you that we become a place that can't be ignored by our community, that can't be ignored, but that people start coming to Christ left, right and centre. What can you see? You might just see the dirt out there, but I don't see dirt out there. I see all of that out there. I see all of that taking place. But when you're in the prison, you lose sight of what can't be seen. But faith sees it. So don't lose sight of what it is that God placed in your heart. Don't worry that others can't see it. God's not asking them to see it. He's calling you to see it. He's not giving them your vision. He's giving you your vision. And they may not be able to see it, but you can see it. And don't stop seeing it. And don't stop declaring it. What have you lost sight of that God gave you a picture of? What have you lost sight of that you need to recapture again?
Maybe your kids are away from God and you've lost sight of them coming back. Where do you see them now? How do you picture them now? What's your confession over them now? Don't see where they are at three o'clock in the morning. See them here with their hands lifted in worship and tears rolling down their cheeks as they have an encounter with our most powerful God. Don't lose sight of what you see. Keep seeing it. Keep seeing what God has birthed in you because if you stop seeing it, you're going to end up a prisoner to hope going through this unrelenting cycle. From sight to evidence, then you have gone from a prison to a palace where dreams come true. When you can see it and hope in it and have faith in it, then what is unseen becomes seen. And you, my friend, have gone from a prisoner of hope and you have stepped through the door of a palace where dreams come true. Let me read you, just as we finish, let me read you the scripture that we started with. Zechariah 9.12 says this, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope, Even today, I declare, listen, listen to Jesus' confession right now. Listen to God's confession right now. I declare that I will restore double to you. I will restore double to you. I don't know about you. Lots of people have had incredibly difficult times in the last 18 months. But his promises that he will restore double to you. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that likes to make the devil pay for stuff. That when he does stuff to me or to you or to my family, then I want him to pay. I think God's the kind of father that when the enemy does something to us, he wants to make him pay for it. And I don't know about you, but rather than being a prisoner of hope, I want to see double the dreams. I want to see everything that has been stolen from you double back. Double your dreams. Double your dreams. God will give double back to you. You need to increase your dreams. Double your dreams. Dream bigger, dare more. You know, Ephesians 3.20, our God can do uh, you know, more than you could ever ask or dream of according to His power that's at work in you. He does exceedingly abundantly more. What does He do? He gives you double back what you lost. He always restores more than what was actually lost. Believe God to give you twice as much as you saw before. Don't get stuck in the cycle of hope and in the prison of hope. But, you know, take those steps and and make sure that you're moving yourself forward. Don't sit back 
waiting for God to move, but be active, making sure, am I fulfilling the will of God for my life? What areas do I need to change? What about my character? How's my confession going? What can I see? And I want to tell you, you will start to move out of the doorway of hope into the palace where dreams come true. Hope is not about us waiting for God to move. Hope is about us moving so that God can jump on. I want to encourage you, don't get stuck in hope where we're just hoping and hoping and hoping because it'll ultimately end up in deferred hope and your heart will get sick. But if you do these things, these six steps that I talked about, praise Him in the midst of your circumstance, that you'll persevere, that you'll let your character be built, that you would make sure that hope is alive and that faith is happening and that you can see what God wants to do, I want to tell you, man, your, your step into your dreams, that come true. Let me, let me pray.